Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Spliff Podcast. I'm your host, Bo Nellis, and I like to talk about weed. So let's get to that, shall we? Uh, if you're smoking along with me right now, cheers to you. I've got a pipe load of some Blue Dream that I decided to bust out. Still doing a lot of dabs lately, but you just can't beat the taste of some good flour every now and then. I like to open things up with a section I call Stoner Moments, where I do some recap of previous episodes, things that maybe I forgot to mention, mistakenly said, or would like to further expound upon. And one of those things is from the Weed and Depression or Depression and Weed episode, I think 13, I mentioned a podcast that I'm a big fan of, Wrestling with Depression. And I couldn't remember exactly the host name. I did find uh, the link and put that with the blog if you went and found it that way. But just in case you didn't, his name is Marty DeRosa. His podcast is Wrestling with Depression. And you neither need to like wrestling or have depression in order to really appreciate the the greatness of his podcast. I think he's really open and honest and he's got a great warmth to his podcast that a lot of people will enjoy. Uh, I'm not a huge wrestling fan. I'm, I'm not a wrestling fan at all. And yeah, I do have the depression thing, but I, I just find it a really quality podcast. So I will include a link to his Twitter account in this blog as well. So if you want to check out the link, you can go to the spliffpodcast.com slash podcast and you'll find all the blogs with all the podcasts there. You can also, if you're just listening through iTunes or a podcast app, check out Wrestling with Depression that way. Another thing that I wanted to discuss moving right along is I did talk about the University of Mississippi being a leading research center in the United States. And that is true. It's had the most federal funding of any research center uh, for cannabis, but that doesn't change the fact that it's still eons behind the times in general research and in just in, in their thought process. The, the problem really comes from the fact that they've been funded by NIDA, the National Institute of Drug Abuse. And so with that, naturally, comes some biases. And this has been one of the arguments against prohibition for some time, is that the research isn't really indicative of the actual facts, but of NIDA's bias. Now, these biases have shown up in all of the research, pretty much, that the University of Mississippi has put out uh, in order to further NIDA's campaign to keep cannabis under prohibition and as a schedule one drug. Uh, and part of this can be seen in the fact that the University of Mississippi is the provider of the cannabis for the federal medical marijuana program, which was started under Reagan, I believe. Crap, I'm going to have to look it up again. But uh, it's decades old. And basically, a patient took their case to the Supreme Court for the medical use of cannabis, the Supreme Court found that there was no reason to not provide this patient cannabis. In fact, there seemed to be great anecdotal reason to provide cannabis to this patient. And so the federal government was mandated to provide cannabis to these patients since there was nowhere else that they could legally get it. Now, the quality of that cannabis is really subpar, uh, 
in contrast to what you can get on the street and really just terrible shit weed in compared to what you can get through a dispensary. Almost any dispensary, even the crappy ones are going to be better than this. They just upped the THC content in their medical marijuana from around 3% to 4%. That's how shitty it is. Whereas in most dispensaries, you're looking at 15 to 19% THC. It's just absurd. Uh, and, and NIDA's kind of rule has been crazy like that, uh, but it is slowly starting to crumble. Just recently, they came out with an admission of the medical potential of CBD within cannabis. I don't even think that they generalized it to include all cannabis, but simply CBD. Um, but they do say that they have a summit in the works to address cannabis for March of this year. Now, there's one catch. Addiction has a starring role in this play. Of course, they are the National Institute of Drug Addiction, so the addictive possibilities of cannabis are going to be on full display for everybody. And addiction is definitely something that I want to address. It's not as bad as most people think it is, um, but... That's going to have to be on another another podcast. If you want to look more about it, I found out this information from a great article on the O'Shaughnessy site for the California Cannabis Research Medical Group. Um, and on that note, I'm going to pause it because I think the gardeners are at the neighbors and I'm going to try and make it a little bit quieter for the rest of this. I'll catch you in a minute. Smoke a bowl. Okay. I think if they're not gone, they're at least a little bit farther away. I had a good smoke. I don't know about you, but let's share some good news. I also found some interesting news on the O'Shaughnessy site, which was from the Emerald Cup. And it was really, really eye-opening. And sometimes, I was thinking about this last week, sometimes you don't know what you don't know until you know you didn't know it. And this is one of those things, you know, it's just the way that People bring a different perspective to it, and it, it's that last puzzle piece to bring everything together. The news that I found was about terpenes and cannabis potency. And I don't read a whole lot of things uh, on this podcast, but I'm going to take a moment to read an excerpt uh, from Fred Gardner on the O'Shaughnessy's website. Uh, and I'll try, I'll try and put a little of my voiceover into it so it isn't totally dull. But here we go, quote, during a panel devoted to terpenes at the 2015 Emerald Cup in Santa Rosa, a fact emerged that was news to me, me being Fred Gardner. The old land race strains are very low in terpene content compared to the modern polyhybrids. That means that over time, people have been selecting for smell, which is obvious as soon as you think about it. The cliche that cultivators for generations have been selecting for psychoactivity and therefore THC content is only part of the truth. People choose plants to propagate based on fragrance. Other factors such as look, shape, size, and speed of maturity may be taken into consideration, but smell is of great importance. And of course, the terpenes produced by a plant contribute to its effects on the mind and body when ingested. So in selecting for smell, breeders have also been selecting for psychoactivity, end quote. And the idea being that if you are bolstering the psychoactivity in some way, you are bolstering the potency. 
So even though THC, we can find it in greater content, and there doesn't really seem to be any proof that we are growing more potent weed than they were 5,000 years ago, except for the terpenes. Which is mind-blowingly, obviously huge. I, and and just, it's just a completely different perspective to look at it. Uh, I feel like when people have been asking me for years if weed is really more potent, uh, I've, I, I tell them, no, not really. Access is the thing that has grown, not the potency. But in some ways, I've been totally fucking wrong. And uh, I have no problem admitting that. It's it's really exciting to actually admit that and to be able to say, well, uh, maybe not the way that you might think with THC, the way that you were led to believe, but in some ways, absolutely. And it's really important to know that. And in doing so, we can actually give better information too, because where I might say, if you don't want to have a very traumatic experience and you can't be assured of CBD... One of the ways to lower the potency or to have a lower potency weed is to really make sure that you get one that smells a little grassier, more like hay, doesn't have a very weedy, weedy fragrance to it, but just kind of smells like weed. That cleared it up, right? That totally cleared it. You know what I meant. In the end, the haters were right and wrong. We were right and wrong. And terpenes went again. All right. Uh, Last thing that I wanted to talk about specifically in news news is California is officially in 2016. And if you are in the cannabis industry, it is time to register with the BOE and get on record as being extant before they start putting more regulations on there and, you know, doing their whole lottery system and the regulations unfold. Really, if you aren't registered with the BOE, which you should be if you are in the business, but really that tends to only be the dispensaries at the best. Anybody in the cannabis industry at this point, from growers to dispensaries, if you are looking to be in the industry, not if you're just a patient grower kind of looking to uh, grow your own weed, But if you're actually looking to grow a lot of weed and turn a profit, now is the time to register, pay them taxes. All right. So let's tie all of this news and test results that we're supposed to be talking about into one and bring up weed maps. Let me just say, fuck weed maps. Fuck you, weed maps. They updated recently. And you know what? Weed maps has never been really known for giving a shit about the patient, they're there to make money and they turn money and they grow their businesses and they invest it into new legislation and they're a very powerful powerhouse. Uh, that's redundant. I don't care. It, I'm really frustrated right now. Weed Maps made a new update and a lot of these things that they're doing sucks. First, you can't change your location. So if you're at your computer and you want to research what dispensaries are going to be in a different location, you have to go to Google, Google that area with the dispensaries, and one by one, pick out those dispensaries through Google. Weed maps cut themselves out of their own fucking search engine. That's fucking stupid, all right? If I want to review a place that I was at in a different city, I have to Google them, then go there, then add a review. That's dumb. 
not as dumb as the next thing that I'm going to bitch about, which are their test results. <sighs> now, their practices on test results have always been pretty fucking shady. When they partnered with SC Labs, they cut out the ability for people to put test results from other laboratories on their menus. <sighs> that is not in the patient interest. That is in the interest of one thing and one thing only, and that is creating a monopoly for weed maps and SC labs. That's fucking unacceptable. Okay, but then at least SC labs was getting better with their lab equipment and they were using gas chromatography and liquid chromatography. They were breaking down different cannabinoids, which was great. They showed you the THC versus THCA content, and that's really important. And I'm going to talk about why exactly a little bit later. But now when you go there, they just show you the aggregate THC total, which is completely misleading. I mean, I like to say that I'm not, I don't even want to use weed maps anymore. But the fact is, I know I'm going to use weed maps. Because even if I just Google it, it's going to take me to weed maps. But the fucking thing is, I have to Google it anyway, because I can't find anything that isn't in my immediate area fucking dumbasses. So I'm really feeling impotent at this moment in time with where I am as a consumer and a patient. And thank you for giving me this opportunity to be blunt and say, fuck you, weed maps. One more shady practice on top of a long history of shady practices. It would seem the gardeners are back and this is a great moment for me to take a dab. So I'm going to take a break. We're going to come back and talk about test results. All right, back to quiet. And I've had my dab and a little CBD and a little more dab, so I'm ready. I picked up some lemon pie from a local dispensary on fucking weed maps. God damn it, that's how I came across all of that nonsense with their update. Uh, but the lemon pie is nice. It's a really nice pull and snap, I gotta say. All right. They did not have test results on any of their stuff, unfortunately, and I was looking at other places, and I was very disappointed to find out that Weed Maps had changed all of their test results showing to an aggregate combination of cannabinoids. That doesn't do justice to a proper cannabinoid profile, and I'm not really sure why they did it. Um... It doesn't seem clear if they just stopped looking for a full cannabinoid profile, if the people who are getting the test results are receiving a full cannabinoid profile, but the implications are pretty clear, and the implications are to push a high-potency flower for profit, because that's the only reason to show its highest THC content when it is combined with THC and THCA. Now, it's really important to note the differences because when THC is still in its acidic form in the flower, it is going to burn off into THC as it enters your lungs. For the most part, depending on your exact heat source, there could be some that actually converts into CBN or other cannabinoids, but for the most part, you are guaranteed THC. Now, through very natural processes, THCA will convert into THC 
while it's still on the flower in the trichome uh, for a varying number of reasons, uh, sun exposure, oxygen exposure, heat exposure, and it, it's just part of its natural process. There's a chain effect of degradation that the cannabinoids go through, and that's one of the ways that you compile a cannabinoid profile. And when THC is already present within the trichome, getting the right vape point as opposed to a burning point where it degrades into a different cannabinoid is really gray water right now. Like we really don't know what exactly is going on with that. People have a lot of speculation about the uh, vape points of cannabinoids, but all of that is done within a vacuum. So it doesn't really seem to give us a practical real life application vape point and the different consistencies on the flower and the different methods of burning it off, whether it be a light from your hemp wick or your lighter or because you are vaping it on a dab rig. There's all kinds of different ways. Uh, the amount of moisture in the cannabis plant could make a difference in creating steam and cooling off the overall temperature. There are so many variables that can go into it. So it's really hard to dial it in and give you an exact temperature. And so having THCA in abundance and not THC gives you a better idea of what your actual magnification of those terpenes that are present is going to be, what your actual cannabinoid potency is. Uh, whereas when you just throw the THC and the THCA together to give you a bigger number, you're kind of giving people the wrong idea because they could be burning it off into CBN, which doesn't give them maybe a therapeutic an experience as they were looking for. If they are looking for that experience, again, knowing the difference between the THC and the THCA is still a really important number to have out there. And how are patients supposed to accommodate a lack of pharmaceutical availability with their doctors if the dispensaries and the labs, for fuck's sake, aren't giving patients the information that they need to make an educated choice on their own. It's, it's mind-blowingly negligent of their social responsibility in this, it, especially saying that they had this functionality beforehand. Then again, they eat themselves out of their own search engine. So clearly, whoever's doing their shit is fucking idiotic. You know, but they're, they're not the only ones. Weed Maps and SC Labs, they're far from the only players in this game that have a private interest in their research. In fact, all those CBD products that you're going to see online that say that they're legal to ship, uh, they all have their own private labs and they're all bullshit. Um, you know, just to, to be frank about it, I, I, I wouldn't do it. I don't trust their information. But there are lots of other players out there. I've talked about the workshop, and they seem to operate mostly as a third party, though I'm not entirely sure about that anymore. Um, there's also THC Laboratories, which is one I've never heard of. There's CMT Laboratory, which is another one I've never heard of. 
There is Steep Hill Halent Laboratories, which I think is just now Steep Hill. Uh, it was two larger laboratories in California that merged together. Steep Hill was started by Harborside owner Steve D'Angelo kind of in response to the patient need for this kind of information and the fact that laboratories weren't really able to accommodate this kind of thing because of the federal ban. They were afraid of repercussions, obviously, and many times rightfully so. Uh, So there is some private interest there, naturally, Uh, but I haven't seen a whole lot of shady practices that I can report about. Their test results seem to be pretty clear. They present a cannabinoid profile. They present a small terpene profile of some of the more interesting terpenes that, that tend to be in larger quantities. Uh, they're not the only ones, but they give a lot of different graphs and information and ways to read it, so that's good. SC Labs kind of does the same thing the last time I looked at their lab results, but I'm not really sure about it anymore. The workshops doesn't have as many different ways to read the information, but they do present a full cannabinoid profile and an extensive terpene profile, uh, one of the more extensive ones I've seen for sure. And then one of the ones that I discovered too in looking for this was MRX Labs in Portland, Oregon. They actually invite you to stop by and take a tour. So if you are in the Portland area or are planning on going to the Portland area and want to know more about cannabis testing, go to MRX Labs and check them out. I definitely want to do that if I find myself in that area and I'd like to go to Portland uh, That was kind of the plan at some point last year, and it didn't really work out for me, but maybe this year I'll get to do that. That'd be really exciting. Now, for the laboratories that actually give you full cannabinoid profiles, and for people who really need to care about the THC versus the THCA, uh, it's there's a couple issues with that. Uh, A couple things, I would say variables that are going to get in your way. One, test results aren't really indicative of the flower you're going to get. They can give you an estimate, but that's really their best case scenario. The flowers at the top of the plant are going to have more trichomes and cannabinoids because they had more sunlight, and the trichomes and cannabinoids develop as a response to that sunlight, whereas the ones on the bottom tend to not have as much THC, the test results would seem to indicate. But, you know, the real point is that there's so much variety in cannabinoid content from bud to bud that you can really only get kind of an idea. Now, this isn't great for people who really want something regular and consistent and that they can rely upon, but you know, cannabis might be teaching us that maybe that's not the best thing for us. So again, that's not something for everybody, but there are a lot of people who want that. And it's mostly because they don't want to have to deal with some of the emotional things behind healing. And this is hopefully going to be a way to discourage that and encourage conversation about emotions in in the healthcare industry. 
but I've already talked about that a little bit. So uh, another variable that you will need to consider is the use of liquid chromatography versus gas chromatography. And I do believe that liquid chromatography is the more consistent and has is working its way to becoming the standard, but gas chromatography is still being used as well just because they're both available and they yield different results. So some people prefer one result, some people prefer the other, and it's best when you can actually find a lab that's going to do both in order to find, uh, you know, kind of a, an aggregate information and have a better understanding of what it is. But then again, there's just so much variability within one batch, yet alone batch to batch, that uh, it can be kind of hard to tell. And that variability comes from so many things in the growth process and through its genetics. And that's one of the more interesting developments in laboratory testing with cannabis that's coming about is genetic testing. I was just... Uh, watching a video and reading some articles on how they are trying to get a genetic map of cannabis based on the land race strains that were salvaged decades ago and where cannabis is now. Um, there's a couple of different places that are looking into big projects like this. And of course, I don't think I wrote any of them down. Nope, naturally didn't write any of them down, but I will go back through my browser history and pull out the URLs so I can put them on the blog later on. Uh, but they are, there's one company that is trying to find, what was it, the real OG, where they are bringing in crowdsourced based samples of OG Kush in order to find the uh, best genetic indicator of the true OG Kush so that eventually patients and or growers, as you may be, can come in and have their material tested and know if it is truly OG Kush. Now, I think there's some good-hearted intention, but with the variability of terpene content and cannabinoid content simply based on the different growth experiences, that's going to be really hard to do the way that they seem to be doing it. It's just you're going to have so much information that you're going to have to weed out. Uh, and then just in California, when you don't know what it is, everybody calls it OG. Oh, what is it? Oh, it's just OG. Uh, and then... So they really picked, like, the most ubiquitous strain, which is good for aggregate information, but it also can really convolute it, too, uh, as opposed to, say, maybe Ken's GDP, which is also throughout California and might have a smaller sample selection from which to pull from. And then there's another company that's really just focusing on creating genetic blueprints for samples that are coming in and then labeling those and cross referencing them when other ones come in and trying to decipher which really would be the correct one. And that's the one that's a little bit more interesting to me because that's the one that's going to be the legal basis in the future. 
for patenting these cannabis strains and the repercussions of what's going to come out of it and to whom this information will be available and what is going to be done with the genetic information. All of these things obviously make me go, hmm. And anything having to do with the genetic material and classification is obviously hugely important, but has also got the potential to really lock things down and restrict access and prevent people from being able to get the kind of cannabis that they need because shit's going to get real highbrow real fucking fast, you guys. I mean, once this stuff starts to be put on lockdown, the people that have been doing their breeding for a long time are going to be start laying claim. And if the genetics start disputing certain things, uh, the, the I don't even want to know the kind of legal battles that might come out of it. It's going to put the whole sour diesel, New York City diesel wars to shame, man, of the 90s that uh, it's going to get real. It's going to get real, real fast. But things like this point to another problem with testing, which is the fact that when people bring in their samples, they're the ones who are responsible for saying what the strain name is, whether it's an indica or not, and uh, a bunch of other different information. And that can be kind of confusing to patients because they see the test result from the laboratory and they're like, oh, well, you know, the lab tested it and said it was indica. And that's not the case. That's not the case at all. The growers or the dispensary that ordered, whoever ordered the test results, fills out the paperwork, writes the strain name, writes the, the classification on there. And then that's just data entried by the laboratory. I feel that it's really important that patients understand that information when they are going and looking at test results. Now, another part of testing that isn't done nearly as often as the cannabinoid profile uh, or even terpene testing is testing for pesticides uh, and microbials, you know, uh, yeast and mold and bacteria, mildew, things like that. Uh, mostly because the growers, they don't like to do it. It's really, really hard to get uh, a, a good grow without any of those things just because the humidity levels, the water needed for these are is in crazy high. And then, you know, it's kind of part of growing. And that is for flour. For concentrates, I would say that residuals testing is much more common, mostly because the legal implications were so high and because it's become such a hot button issue. And so the steep hill halent test results that I said I was looking at, I actually have here and they are on a concentrate. So I kind of wanted to go over them with you to help me remember some of the points I wanted to touch on and hopefully help you better understand how to look and what to look at. I am picking the easiest one because they give you so many options. Uh, but so we're going to start, uh, at the top, they have their logo and then the strain name, which is blue dream. Then they'll have the customer name. They have the test site, which is the laboratory it was dropped off to. They have the instrument, which says HPLC dash DAD dash MS. Now I believe I'm familiar with this enough to, uh, say that the LC stands for liquid chromatographer. And the MS, probably mass spectrometry or mass spectrometer. Uh, it 
says the test, and there's cannabinoid and terpene potency. Uh, and as for the sample type, which says concentrate, that would be something that the person would fill out when they were dropping off their sample. Uh, it said the sample ID, when it was submitted, when it was analyzed. That's also important because the time between when the grower might have dropped it off, if they just took it off their cure table, if it waits another three days, that could affect it. And uh, when it was reported... And what the the sample size was. So I believe most places require a half a gram or a gram of concentrate. And the sample mass itself was actually only 0.0845 grams. So it's a really small sample of this. Uh, It's not giving you necessarily a really overall view, but a view into a tiny portion. Because it is a concentrate... It was a butane concentrate at that. There is some agitation in the purge process. And so it isn't necessarily going to be uniform throughout. I know some tinctures and things like that, uniformity, they really try and get that down. And in concentrates, that's not necessarily the case. Uh, So next, they have a nice little bar graph with all the cannabinoids. I won't say all of the cannabinoids. It's like 16 of the cannabinoids, the major cannabinoids, and the ones that are most interesting in the medical field at the moment. Below that, they have a terpene bar graph with about 10 different terpenes that are of interest to most people and which I would say are probably more likely going to be the ones that you will find in some of the clear concentrates. Below that, they have a couple of different graphs of the sample overview and what came out in terpenes, what came out in cannabinoids, and what was unmeasured material. And then it looks like maybe there's just this gray blob that says cannabis concentrate with blue dream under it. And I'm assuming... That's probably a picture of the 0.0845 grams that was taken out. And there might be a tiny, tiny dot of green in the blob of gray somewhere. (laughs) And then next to that is uh, sample details. And it says pesticides and mycotoxins, which would be uh, some of the, the things that aren't necessarily going to be tested in in concentrates. On the next page, we have a lot of the same information that I just saw on the first page, but we have it in three different graphs. So if you didn't understand it, uh, they have it just uh, in a list for you where they list the different cannabinoids with different colors, which will be used later, and then their percentage of mass and what that converts to in milligrams. And then they take those colors for the cannabinoids and they put those on a pie chart to give you a visual representation of the cannabinoid profile that way. And if none of those rack your boat, uh, at the bottom, they have a line graph of the cannabinoids that are actually present uh, or that actually showed up within their test, I should say. And they give you just a a little spike representation of what the cannabinoids are in there. Everybody understands information differently. The page after that, we have the same types of graphs, but created specifically for the terpenes. Now, this one has 
far fewer colors available. The major terpene found in this blue dream sample was beta myrcene, and that's a really popular terpene in cannabis. I've talked about it before, I believe, even though I called it beta carophylline when I first brought it up. Uh, so we have a list, and the only listed uh, present terpene is beta myrcene. So the entire circle is filled with the color for beta myrcene. And on the line graph at the end, there's only one terpene that is listed. And I think it really just repeated the cannabinoid profile line graph from the first page. Yep, because there should only be one peak on that line graph it was, if it was for the terpenes, and there are several peaks uh, that are exactly matching to the cannabinoid profile, so that worked out well, didn't it? On to the last page. Now, the last page is specific to concentrates, and uh, it does say that the test was specifically requested was the residual solvent analysis. So let's see here. It also says that the instrument used for the residual solvent analysis was the HS-GC-MS. So I'm assuming that they're using the gas chromatographer in order to find the gases and the solvents that were used. Now, this one actually came back with 95 parts per million, which isn't great. Um, it isn't terrible by any means. But for some people who are very sensitive, this would obviously not be a concentrate that they would want to use. There are some things uh, on here, too. We have a, a graph of parts per million allowable by state. Uh, 50 parts per million is allowable in Colorado, whereas 500 parts per million is allowable in Washington by law. They have a bunch of states in blue that are medical cannabis and aren't regulated. Uh, and then at the end, they have a little listing of the legalities for those states. Let's see. We have Colorado with Colorado Retail Mandatory Testing, Basis and Purpose-R712. N-butane, isobutane, and propane must be less than 50 parts per million with an asterisk nest to it, which isn't explained at all on these test results. That makes me sad when they do that. Under that, we have heptane, isopropyl, and ethanol, which must be less than 10 parts per million, and solvents not pursuant with rule R605 must have no detection whatsoever. And so that's that's great for the California law. It really breaks it down between the concentrates that are used primarily for edibles and the concentrates that are used primarily for vaping. And uh, maybe that asterisk explains why the concentrates for vaping tend to be so much higher than the, the residuals for things like ethanol uh, that you would be using as an edible, uh, like a Rick Simpson oil. You don't want to vaporize Rick Simpson oil generally. Yeah, that would taste terrible. Uh, but under that, it has Washington's requirements for WAC 314-55-104, marijuana processor license extraction requirements, and it just says for finished cannabis extract less than 500 parts per million. That's simple enough. And that's the test results. Oh, 
I never told you what the cannabinoids were, did I? <clears throat> the cannabinoid profile for this particular batch of Blue Dream is 70% THCA, 3.9% THC, 1.1% CBGA, and 0.58% CBG, which is great. CBG might be good for inflammation. It's one of the more primary cannabinoids in the chain, it seems. And the earlier the cannabinoid is developed, just uh, kind of the more amazing its medicinal properties are, are astounding scientists, at least. I'm not sure how much they're working in the real world, but scientists are really excited by them. So I'm excited by them. There's minor percentages of some other acidic forms of the cannabinoids. We have a little CBNA, a little CBDA, and a little CBCA. So a uh, very minute amount, 0.048 there. The other ones are in the 10th uh, the of ranges. So that's all really interesting information. None of it really helps me out specifically to my needs except for the THCA and THC. Uh, I really know that I prefer a higher THCA content than THC and 3.9% is right around in the range where I'm still comfortable. Once you pass the 7% THC, I really don't like it as much. It gives me a heavier uh, couch lock and uh, I, I don't enjoy it as much in the overall experience. So having a 70% THCA one is going to help me know probably how many doses I'm going to get out of it. And then, you know, how big of a hit I should probably start with if you want to be a little bit more cautious about moving into concentrates. Not me, 70%. I'm like, yeah, let's hit it. And then we'll hit it again. And then we'll hit it again. And the beta mercine, while I'm here, um, that one tested at 0.13%. So that comes out to 1.3 milligrams total, whereas we have 700 milligrams of THCA. So really minute portions, but incredibly important to its overall experience. These really small numbers can make huge differences in the way we experience cannabis. And you're not going to know what those minute differences are if you don't have the test results. So making sure that you are looking at the test results, demanding test results from your dispensaries. And, you know, there's only so much you can do to discern them right now. It's really about making sure that you have that information when you are recording what works for you and what doesn't and trying to figure out why. This is the information we have to unlock those keys of what is going to work best for us. Now, a little bit of testing for the growers. Some of you aren't going to be getting the flower in the dispensary or concentrates. You actually want to get the seeds and or you want to buy clones and you want to know that those are going to produce. Well, you can actually test the leaf material for cannabinoids and the cannabinoid results are going to be really, really small, really minute. Again, going back to like terpene levels, really, really tiny, but they will be indicative of what you can expect in your grow in the end based on its genetics and things like that. 
So this is really important for people who are buying clones that are listed as being CBD rich. Everybody's got fucking Charlotte's Web. And my next podcast is going to be addressing CBD. And I'll definitely be talking about uh, that bullshit. Uh, The Charlotte's Web being the bullshit. Uh, Not that it's not medicine. But anyway, that's... Don't get me going on a tangent, damn it. But when you want to know for sure that your clone or your seedling is going to be CBD rich, you can get the leaf material tested and that should result in a CBD to THC ratio. And if you grow it accordingly and there are no problems, you should find uh, a ratio similar to that in much higher percentages when it resonates. All right. That was a lot of information, wasn't it? Uh, Oh, man, I am going to have a lot to edit later. And we still have a safety to get to. I hope you enjoyed learning about test results. I hope it does you some good. You know, uh, I, I gave some scenarios and examples for why I'm interested in the acidic versus non acidic forms in my test results. There are people who maybe only want to do cold presses of their flowers. They're only interested in extracting the acidic forms and knowing exactly how much THC uh, is really important because they could be very sensitive to it or they want as little psychoactivity as possible and CBD may actually counter their therapeutic effects of the THC. Uh, So this isn't just about stoners wanting to get stoned. This is real, true medicine and medicinal information that is being withheld from patients and uh, and misleading just for profit. So I think, I think I'll probably give a shout out to Weed Maps on Twitter and tell them fuck you for their stupid bullshit. I encourage you to do the same. All right, let's wrap things up on a really, really happy note. As we safety, I'm going to smoke some Canatonic which is a CBD rich hybrid. It's got uh, like a, I think like a five to three ratio of CBD to THC. Uh, So it gives me not just the anxiety relief of the calming and uh, easing of the nerves, the the ease of nervous signal use within my body, Um, but it also, because it's got a little bit of that THC in there, provides some relaxing and that head change that I need when I start getting to, <laughs> all right. So yay, glass pipe. I'm so excited about this glass pipe. It's really cute. I'm going to have pictures up on Twitter and Facebook, which are two ways that you'll be able to enter the contest, but I'm going to talk about it a little bit first. This is a really interesting piece. Um, It kind of looks like a praying mantis from certain angles. It's got a little bit of a claw to hold on to. It's got the most interesting side carb I've ever seen in my life. It sits really well on a desk, so you can totally put it down and your bowl will stay upright and not fall over without any problems. And it's got two marbles. Uh, because Ethan is amazing with his marbles. So of course he decorated it with marbles. No, it has three marbles. There's a marble at the top too with this great purple. It has fuming in the bottom and fuming at the top. So you're definitely going to get some color change out of this. And then he has this amazing conceptualization that I it took me a while to see. I didn't want to play with the pipe too much. One, because I didn't want to break it. Two, I didn't want to fall in love with it. And then... I fell in love with it. So 
I had to pick it up so I could tell you guys about it and talk about it. And when doing so, I realized that because Ethan loves me and he knows me so well and he knows that I love Sherlock's, it's a Sherlock. It's a Sherlock that stands up on your desk. I'm amazed because my Sherlock, I have to put down on its side and it still kind of works, but the bowl will usually tip out if I haven't packed it in there real tight and, and it doesn't work. It's also Southpaw. It's a lefty carb, which I love as a right hander because I want my right hand for my lighter, especially using the hemp wick and the carb. I just need to move my finger. That's, that's a left hand job. Um, this one is a right hand carb. So most people will be totally comfortable using it, but then it's got a great Sherlock vibe to it. You can just sit there and it's got that, that kind of pipey feel to it where you can just puff away and he made it to where the stem goes down so far that when you tip it, if you wanted to use it as a bubbler, you could use it as a bubbler probably. Um, when you set it down, I would think that the water might tip out that way or tip into your bowl. But he actually has it to where the gravity might keep the air bubble in a place that would prevent that. I'm not going to fill it with water. Uh, but it's a really exciting piece that you can play with and use as a pipe or maybe try it out as a bubbler. Let me know how it goes. And I'm going to tell you how to win this amazing color changing Sherlock right now. There are a few ways that I'm going to be doing this and I still want to make it as easy as possible for me to keep track of who's doing this while also creating this as a way of increasing my visibility and getting this information out to the public. That's a big part of this too. Um, and also making sure that I am crediting Ethan and getting his name out there for being such an amazing artist and for being such a kind soul and donating this piece to this contest. Thank you, Ethan. You can find him on Instagram at glassroots. Ethan is, he blows marbles now. He's an amazing marble artist, but he got his glass start by making glass pieces for pipes and for stoners and head shops as a lot of glass artists coming up got their start. And it's really created this amazing Americana folk art movement with glass that wasn't there before. And Ethan is certainly contributing to it. He really doesn't make pipes anymore. So this is a really special piece. Uh, but again, you can find him on Instagram at glassroots, and that's roots with a Z at the end. Okay, so the ways to win. I am going to pin a post to my Twitter, and I'm going to pin a post, I think I can pin a post, to my Facebook. You'll have to like that post. Uh, you'll also have to share from that post if you want to like and share on the social media. Now, that is not an option for everyone. So I know that some people can't really make a public display and I want to make sure that they still have the option to get in on this contest too. So you can email me and you can do that at the spliff podcast at gmail.com. You can also comment on the blog for this podcast. I'm accepting entries that way. And you can actually enter with a double entry if you review in iTunes. So since I won't have a way to contact you 
through iTunes. You'll have to make sure that you listen for your handle if you are the one who is picked as the winner. Even if you just review it for the stars, but don't actually leave a description, if you email me a screenshot, I can use that and you get to stay anonymous. I'm giving double entries for reviews in iTunes. Now, of course, you can double up on the iTunes and the Facebook and the Twitter um, emails just for the people who can't do the public way. And then maybe if you're visually impaired, you can always call me at 209-86-SPLIFF and go ahead. And if you're going to call me or email me, uh, you know, do do me a favor and uh, tell me something that you like or, I don't know, maybe that you don't like. Uh, give me some feedback on the podcast or give me a question, something that you'd like to hear. Really, I'm just looking for fodder. So in order to have an entry when you uh, email me or call, just give me a little something, something. All right. Okay, you guys, that's going to wrap it up. I can't wait. I still have to edit this and get it out there. So by the time I do that, it'll probably be later. And I probably will just be getting around to getting the pictures done. So by the end of tonight, definitely by Friday morning, we should have this contest up and going. I'm going to run it for a month. Uh, so in, oh my goodness. So that will mean I'll pick the winner on Valentine's Day. All right, that's easy enough to remember. So we're going to run this through Valentine's Day and then we'll have a glass giveaway. I haven't picked up a dime bag yet, but I definitely have time to do that if I have a month. I don't know, maybe it'll be glass and a dime bag giveaway. <gasps> That'll be fun. I have to actually get my ass out of the house though in order to do that. So we'll see. Oh, no, wait. That's what Amazon's for. All right, you guys, fingers crossed. In the meantime, ciao for now.